Today is Sunday, July 9th, 2017, and this is episode 196 of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me tonight, as always, is Mr. Andrew Kellett. Good evening, Jerry. How are you, sir? I'm super duper. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. I uh, We've made it yet another week. Uh, I know. Well, we did we did skip out on the 4th of July, I guess. You know, that's true, but it was, it was the 4th of July. Yeah, we, I was lighting stuff on fire. I couldn't be bothered the podcast ungrateful colonist day as i like to call it <laughs> so you survived with all your toes and fingers i did had a good time how about you yep yep uh, i had a good time i planned to do some flying but weather smacked that plan out of out of existence thunderstorms and small planes don't don't mix so well yeah well it's probably best that you uh you set it out so i'm here good 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 so um just a couple of things before we get started. First up is uh, we're we're rapidly approaching uh, security summer camp in Las Vegas, and I just wanted to give a quick shout out to TierraCon. And apparently, there's they're still log- looking for volunteers. So if you're uh, if you're so inclined and you're going to be in the area, look them up. They they do need some volunteers. So what is TierraCon? TierraCon is a conference that is uh, focused on Helping women grow their careers in information security. And it's happening at the same time as Black Hat and DEF CON? Yep, that's and right. Besides Las Vegas and whatever else is going on? Beautiful, scorching Las Vegas, Nevada. I used to go to, to Black or sorry, to DEF CON many years in a row. I, I kind of fell out of favor, but yeah, it's hot. It's hot this time of year. Especially for wearing all black like I did back then because I tried to be cool. I failed, but I tried. Well, you know, you got to try. So, uh, so I uh, also wanted to say thank you. Usually we do this at the end, but I wanted to put it up front. Thank you to all of our Patreon donors. Absolutely. It's, you guys are awesome. Uh, so just to, just before we get into the main topic for this evening, I wanted to remind everybody that the thoughts and opinions we express on the show are ours and do not represent those of our employers. But for a sizable fee, it could. It, it, this could be you. That's right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the, the, there there was a kind of a big thing that happened since the last show we had, which was Petya, then not Petya, Niet Petya, kind of Petya, sort of Petya. I has more names than you can shake a stick at. I don't think I've seen this level of confusion around uh, incidents in a long time. Oh, clearly. And and partly, by the way, I think it's because of its proximity to WannaCry. I, I would agree, but I'd also agree that we, we've kind of gotten into the 24-hour news cycle in the world of InfoSec Twitter. Yeah, and, yeah, good point. You know, people want to be first with the news and jump out there and spread, you know, with all good intentions, warn people, spread it. But as I'm sure we'll talk about, the fog of war in this one was thick oh, yeah. and confusing and a lot of misinformation got out there that caused uh, much more challenges around solving this problem that I think uh, probably needed to be. But 
I don't, you know, that's maybe a, a secondary story, but it was definitely a lot of confusion going on with this one. Yeah, that, that's for sure. So I, I presume most people who listen to the show are well aware, but there's a, there's a lot of details to this story that you know may not be obvious, and uh, I'll say kind of a lot of different angles to talk about. So I, I, I'm going to give some background here. There, there's a company named Intellect Service in the Ukraine. And in the Ukraine, apparently companies are mandated to use a government-specified tax program. One of two. One, yeah. So, And this Intellect Service produces one of the two government-approved tax applications. and But apparently Intellect Software has about 80% of the market share, about 400,000 customers. So it's, you know, not not a small deal. Um, the, the name of their tax application is called MEDOC. I don't know what ME stands for, but, you know, there you are. Um, and, and I, I want to kind of go through this in chronological order because... There's really, honestly, no good way to come at this. The 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 information that I'm Andy and I are going to cover today come from a whole host of different stories. And but you know, rather than kind of going through each one individually, I thought it, it, it kind of made sense to kind of go through it top to bottom. So, uh, so where to start? Apparently, well, oh, go I, ahead. I think it. I think it's safe to say we don't know when this started. Truly. Because this clearly was a well-thought-out, well-planned, long-term effort Yes. based on how they got into the systems. Correct. So we know first piece of evidence, but clearly things happened before then. Yeah. And, and so the allegations, just uh, you know, kind of putting the end up front, right? The allegations now at this point are that the, um, you know, the... The perpetrator was Russia. Maybe. May, well, I mean, this is the this is the you know the formal Ukraine position, and also the position of many uh, security companies. So, have, have we have we checked with with uh, Kevin Mandia? We've not. And, and can, I, can we get him on the phone? I don't know. I don't know if uh, if if Mr. Trump asked uh, Mr. Putin in the in their meeting. <laughs> don't we have people? Somebody get him on the phone. We should we should get our people on this. So anyhow, um, this uh, this tax application MEDOC apparently has an auto update functionality, and which you know makes good sense. And that auto update functionality relies on some infrastructure that operates from Intellect Services office. And in the in the ensuing investigation, it was discovered that. Uh, apparently, Intellect stopped patching the servers involved in roughly 2013. So to be clear, it's not that they stopped patching the software in question. They stopped doing care and feeding on, on, on the, the server. servers correct. that answered these auto-update requests. That's correct. Okay. Yep. yep. And there's really no uh, there's there's really no discussion about why that is. So it just at this point, it just is. Um, so, the the actor who, which is thought to, again to be this this Telebot group, which is allegedly Russia, apparently compromised the 
inte intellect service infrastructure using uh, credential theft. So, so you know, basically, I, I suppose phishing or maybe password reuse, hard to really say for sure. Uh, anyhow, they, they ended up with access to intellect's uh, inf uh, update infrastructure. And on three separate occasions over the course of two months, they pushed out a backdoor update. They in, included in a MEDOC update, they, uh, this Telebot group, I'll, 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 I'm going to make the assumption that it's Telebot, you can, you know, think that I'm saying allegedly, right? But this Telebot um, packaged up a malicious DLL that had a backdoor on three separate occasions over over the course of two months. That that update, or sorry, that backdoor, effectively gave Telebot the ability to run arbitrary commands and and perform queries uh, through the update infrastructure. So it wasn't that Telebot was directly communicating with the you know the the installs of MEDOC at MEDOCs or at the the companies running MEDOC. It was that Telebot was controlling the update infrastructure, which was in turn communicating with all of these customers for you know allegedly four hundred thousand customers. Now let me let me clarify something that I think. Uh, from my reading and understanding, we don't know yet how this backdoor, or you could even call it a bot callback feature, was added. We don't know how that happened and when and how. The The reuse credentials that we know about is when they were doing forensic investigation, they looked at the update server, the web app that's running this update server, and that's when they saw that the admin credentials were used to log into that update server and redirect certain com certain communications to the attacker's compromised host. Yep, that's right. That's how I read it. So so just to just to, to clarify, we don't know how the backdoor got added, one of three. Or I should say we don't know when or how. What we do know from the first piece of evidence is that credentials were reused uh, to log into the web app that was running this update service and in essence, take update requests and redirect them to a third-party host. Yeah, and they, so so on the on the fateful day of June twenty seventh, which is when all all this fun stuff happened, they they saw the Talibot group log into that server and, and reconfigure the Nginx uh, web server to proxy its traffic over to a server at OVH. Now, now what's OVH? OVH is a, a you know, basically a a server hosting, like a, a cloud hosting provider. And as far as we know, this OVH host that these commands uh, were proxied over to was also a compromised host that, spoiler warning, ultimately was burned down uh, at the conclusion of this. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So, so I think this is where you know where we don't fully understand what happened, but. Uh, Apparently, through that proxy traffic was where the uh, the, the not Petya malware was pushed, right? So it wasn't directly pushed from the um, you know the the Intellect software server. It was actually pushed 
as part of this proxy. I mean, this is our current understanding, certainly subject to change. But So this, this very subtle backdoor was added to, to check in for updates and report some information. Right. And then the bad guys got into the web host that was doing the updates, redirected certain updates to their compromised host, the command and control server, basically. And that's where the payload of NotPetya was added. That's was right. added to these ME doc installations. Yep. Okay. Yep. So so now at this point, we we have a whole herd of companies, you know, largely based in the Ukraine, receiving this NotPetya. Uh, because this was phoning this home every two minutes, right? This was very aggressive. Correct. It, it, it wasn't waiting on the companies to go trigger an update or patch themselves. It was aggressively phoning home. That's right. Okay. But it looked like it was connections just back to a known good host. Yeah. And so so that's one of the really difficult things about this particular attack is that from the perspective of the, the victims, you know, the end victims, the users of MEDOC, you know, they, all they saw was traffic to the same server, you know, back and forth to the same server. They always see traffic to and from, right? Unless they were actually looking, doing some kind of inspection, and, and it's not even clear to me if, if it was being tunneled over HTTPS, and so it may, may not have been, you know, it was, there may not have been able to, or anything that you could have seen, but, you know, this is a kind of a worst case scenario, right? Because, you know, we, we often say, you ought to really have a good good insight into what your systems are, are communicating with and block things they have no business talking to. But in this case, you know, it, lo- it, all, it all checked out. Right. I think the only chance, and this is such a small percentile chance, is if you had something doing behavior analysis on your network and saw a check-in that was maybe happening once a day start suddenly ramp up to twice a minute. But again, you're going to trace it back to known good software that has an auto-update functionality. You're probably going to assume that was just new functionality pushed by the company. Exactly right. You know, even if you've got all the telemetry and, you know, you can dig into what is actually causing those network calls, I don't think you're going to be necessarily suspicious of that. Right, because it's ME-DOC. Yeah. Yeah. It's aggressive and, you know, uh, somebody might complain about the aggressiveness of it, but I doubt it. Right, right. But you know, it, in in hindsight, it really wasn't calling that aggressively for that long before the payload was delivered. Right, right. So it's not even clear if you would have had time to react to that. To be to be candid. So, so do we know that these callbacks stopped once the payload was delivered? Or did they continue every two minutes? Or I don't think we know. Yeah, I we don't know that okay. for sure. So so what what happened from here? Now you have this this system that's running um, MEDOC, which by the way, it, it is not clear to me if the normal deployment scenario for MEDOC is on a workstation or on a server. I, I don't know that, um, and none of the articles I've read have have indicated one way or the other. But regardless, the you know, the the application, I should say, once the the uh, NotPetya worm was push pushed down, it 
because you know the, the, this was running in the context of an auto update, it almost certainly was being run with local administrator rights on that particular system, whether it was a server or a workstation, because presumably it would need to write to you know program files or, or what have you. So uh, the NotPetya malware included basically Mimikatz. And there was a funny Twitter exchange or, or Twitter rant by the person who wrote Mimikatz kind of really uh, offended that that uh, the author of, of NotPetya didn't abide by the license terms of Mimikatz. <laughs> well, maybe maybe they can uh, bring a, bring an action. Yeah, yeah, yeah there you go. Mm-hmm. Like how Al Capone was brought down, right? right. Like taxes, in this case, Mimi Cat's license violation. Right, right. So, uh, so anyhow, uh, used Mimi Cat's to interrogate uh, the, the memory on the local system, looking for legitimate credentials it could in turn use on other systems on the network. And if it found those credentials, it tried uh, apparently both PSExec and WMIC to push and execute the malware to you know, r- systems on the local network. And it had a, had a couple of tricks it used to try to figure out, you know, what other systems were on the, um, on, on the local network. And also it, it had uh, the eternal blue uh, WannaCry spreader, right? So if you had systems on the network that were vulnerable to that, uh, it wouldn't need legitimate credentials. It could just use, the eternal blue uh, propagation mechanism, but in order f- I- I- Which, without, oh, go ahead. Yeah, eternal blue and eternal romance is supposedly the NSA tools. Correct. That really that, that was yeah. uh, eternal blue was the was what WannaCry used. Right, and that goes after the vulnerable SMB shares. Correct. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, you know, a lot of a lot of confusion in the early in the early hours of this outbreak. Was you know how how could this possibly ha- be happening? You know our environment was patched against uh, you know e- eternal blue for a long time, and you know yet yet here we are. And so throughout the day, it started to become pretty clear that fully patched systems and fully patched environments were in fact being infected, and that was when people started to realize that it was actually stealing credentials out of memory. And I will say, by the way, that this technique is not really novel. It's it's actually something that's used in many of the more advanced attacks that are you know that are typically perpetrated by an you know an actual hands-on keyboard type actor, right? But this was basically automating that chain. And so so this is not a, this is not a new thing. So they grab creds out of memory of the initial compromised host. Right. Then what? How are they spreading from there? Right. So, so it relied on the credentials in memory having permissions, basically administrator permissions, on other systems on the network. So, if if it if that wasn't the case, like if it, if you only had local admin on your on the computer MEDAC was running on, it it wasn't going to propagate off of that unless one of the other systems was again vulnerable to Eternal Blue. But you know, barring those two facts, it really wouldn't have moved off of that. Or a local admin uses the same username and password in every host. Right, right. Yeah. Which is common. Never happens. 
So, so it would it would use PS Exact and uh, that sort of stuff to to move it, it around to other hosts right, locally. It, right. It had PS Exact had a copy of PS Exact bundled inside it, and and so you know I even saw a lot of discussions, uh, and even up to the second day about you know advice being bantied about saying you know make sure your system doesn't have PS Exact on it. And well, which doesn't help you because it's bundled with the code. Because it's bundled in the in the malware, yeah. Now, so also about this time, I remember a lot of people saying that the initial infection vector was phishing. Yes, that's a, a great point. So again, in the fog of war here, right? All at the time, really, all people knew was something really terrible was going on. Systems were being wiped, and we even even talked about you know what ultimately happens but anyway we'll get right. to that in a second so so this thing is just crawling through networks in at, at a mass scale and there's a lot of debate uh going on especially on twitter and in other venues that i was i was privy to about that this was being spread by uh by phishing right that was being seeded to organizations around the world with phishing emails, and I, and you know, I didn't. I, I certainly I haven't had time to do any kind of an exhaustive, you know, retrospective analysis of all of the people who said that. But I've got to believe, if you run an if you run a network of any size with any number of you know large number of 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 endpoints, you're probably having you know things happen all the time in terms of infections or you know, triggers some kind of an antivirus trigger on a workstation or whatever. And so if you, I, I think, don't know for sure, but I think what probably happened was, you know, peop, organizations started seeing systems being crypto locker. And I'm using the, the generic term, right? The, the, right. Their systems being locked up. And, um, and, and so they started going back and look, see, well, what happened around that time? Oh, well, Jerry opened up an email. So, and I wonder if that, you know, Cisco has a bunch of research on this. They, they were one of the groups that responded on the ground and whatnot. And their view of this is that, quoting from one of their research papers, uh, like WannaCry, there were reports of uh, an email vector. This is most likely because some of the earliest infected machines had concurrent Loki-bot infestations with indicators of an email vector for that malware. And after careful research, Talos concluded that for the delivery of the, uh, they call it Netya malware, all installations came through the ME doc update system. Correct. So that's that's their view of things. Uh, yeah, Microsoft released a, a TechNet article which basically said the same thing. They they looked at telemetry they collected through, I think it was ATP and Windows Defender and other, you know, everybody cries about all the data they collect, but, you know, apparently maybe that comes in handy every now and then. Uh, so, so anyway, Microsoft says... Yeah, if you're the NSA. <laughs> that's true. Microsoft uh, claims that, uh, at least that, uh, you know, I think this article was from the day after, two days after, that all of the infections they saw originated from ME-Doc as well. So, you know, just to focus in on this for a moment, we kind of alluded to this at the beginning of the show, this fog of war was really confusing, I think, for a lot of defenders, especially when this was getting press. Those of us in the trenches are trying to figure out how to defend our organizations before we get hit. We're getting 
different pieces of information. Uh, of course, the marketing teams from various companies start jumping on this. Uh, you know, after about 12 hours, they don't help. So this was an interesting one of those with the best of intentions spreading potentially false information. I mean, I'd heard reports of companies shutting down email servers trying to stop this spreading in. Uh, and that is an interesting thing I think we're going to have to watch for. And this goes to, in my mind, this speaks to a larger issue with threat intelligence. Of how do you know? How do you get it fast enough? And how do you know if it's accurate? And how do you choose to respond to it? And in a, in a situation of, of where we're seeing these worms start to propagate, the reaction time is so short that you could potentially make the wrong step if, if there's a fog of war around these things. Uh, and it's something that we need to think about and keep in mind in our reaction scenarios of what is it we're going to believe and choose to respond to. Because shutting down email is a big disruption for a company. Yeah, and I, I did see a lot of tail chasing. Um, you know, I, I saw a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, senior management types in many different organizations really in, interrogating in, uh, their IT teams about how come we weren't patched on, uh, you know, MS seventeen oh zero one zero, and and so you know they were off having to go and reconcile patch records and and then you had other one you had other people trying to uh, like you said you know figure out what what does it look like when it comes in via email and and trying to you know add uh, you know add signatures and 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 whatnot to to to, you know, to try to stop the you know, stop it from from getting to you as well but in the end those things weren't as you know, to the best of our knowledge, right? Those were not fruitful avenues to go down for the most part. Right. Um, now, I, aside from the marketing folks, everybody else, I think, had the best of intentions here. It's just, there's a lot of conflicting information flying a lot of different directions. Yeah, I, I think the, the one thing that I saw and that I think we need to do a better job of is that the, I saw a lot of ego you know, in, in not wanting to update your prior beliefs or your, your understanding of what's going on, right? So, you know, I saw a lot of organizations kind of pick up on that email thread. Yeah. And it took almost, in, in some cases, a week for them to admit that it was not, that was not real. Interesting. And and so, in you know, in now, the, in the did, interim, did you see that, uh, did you see that it, individuals on Twitter? Or did you see that in, in companies published marketing information in blogs or, or you um, know? So, so, so two places. One was on, I, I saw it in spades on Twitter. And then I also had a, a really good talk over the 4th of July with, uh, with Bob. Bob actually came over for fireworks and he caught part of my lawn on fire, but it was, it's all good. Mm, so I mean, you invite him over. This is to be expected. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so so Bob Bob was telling me how um, yeah you know yes that was that was a really significant problem with a lot of organizations he uh, you know he provides services to uh, that that know, they, their executives of these downstream companies had latched onto the email vector yeah well I think it was not 
from from what he had told me, it was less the executives and more the security staff. You know, the security... And, and, and by the way, we talked about this with WannaCry, and it's kind of interesting because here you have two worms in kind of rapid succession. And we talked about at the time, WannaCry was like the first real worm we had seen in a decade. And, right. and now here we are, you know, a month and a half later, we have we have another one. And you still have this you know, this, this kind of myopic mindset that, well, you know, it looks like a, it looks like a fish. It smells like a fish. It must be a fish. Even in the face of like the Ukrainian government, you know, breaking down the door of intellect software, by the way, there's a great YouTube video. I don't know if you've had a chance to see it. There's a YouTube video of uh, the Ukrainian police I mean, with, you know, full battle gear, you know, automatic rifles breaking into <laughs> intellect software to go confiscate their servers. Well, those servers really can fight back. I mean, uh, they give you a nasty static shock. They, the, the, the server racks can fall over if they're not properly bolted to the ground. Uh, uh, you're right. You're right. Server rooms are cold. That's true. Uh, they're usually loud. Stuff, usually stuff stacked high that could, like, fall on top of your head. I mean... Yeah, Come on right. now. You're right. I, you, you can't underestimate what's going to happen in a data center. You really can't. <laughs> um, and, and by the way, the video from their data center was really interesting. It looked like a lunchroom that had like four or five racks with some household yeah. fans. Well, <laughs> you and I have worked fans. in those places too. So <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> but but they have 400,000 customers. So um, and, anyway... Yeah, but I mean, let's be fair. They're they're Ukrainian customers. Well, I I don't really know where I'm going with this. I just yeah, I don't I don't know either. <laughs> I think I don't mean to offend our Ukrainian listeners. I was just trying to make a joke, and I realized halfway into it, I couldn't abort. Pull up, bad, pull up. <laughs> it's a bad, it's a bad joke. We'll strike that. Anyway, pull, pull up. So, um, so 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 yeah. yeah I mean. To, to be fair, this touches on a point I want to reinforce, though, that this specifically, what we know at this point is that the bad guys knew the ME, ME doc software really well because they knew where to hide this command and control callback functionality in the code. They snuck it into the code releases, the legitimate code releases from ME doc, and then later took over the web server that answered those update releases and redirected. And this software was one of two mandated by the Ukrainian government for tax filings. So clearly this was Ukrainian targeted. Yeah, I mean, that, that, I think that's that's why everybody is so comfortable claiming that it was um, you know, a, a targeted operation at the Ukraine. And there's more, right? The, we'll, get, right. we'll get into some more details that, that further bolster that argument but you know again it is still hypothesis at this point so jumping forward i think we're about to talk about what it did once it got on the box that's exactly what we're about to talk about so the first thing once so now you have let's just kind of recap right you've got an infected at 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 all of these me.customers you have an infected server or workstation running the ME-Doc software, which is now trying to propagate out to other systems on the network using either Eternal Blue 
or credentials it captured out of memory, when it does, it basically forces a copy of NotPetya down the throat of that, you know, that those other systems where the whole process starts over again, right? So the that that newly effect, infected system now has its memory inspected and starts trying to propagate. Now at some point later, it's not really clear to me when. Some point later, there's a schedule that the the I should say. The first thing that happens is the the boot record is updated. To you know to include some code, which hap which helps with the next step. So then the system reboots. Once the system reboots, the you know the the next kind of the next stage of the attack happens where the malware actually starts encrypting you know key parts of the drive like the ma the, the master file table. And and something I read is that it looked like it's running check disk. Correct. But it's not actually running check disk. It's just it, there to it looked distract like, you. Exactly right. It looked like the it looked like the you know the old style DOS screen where it's you know it's giving you the percent complete. But while it's doing that, it's not checking the disk. It's actually encrypting the disk. Right. And um, now, kind of where this jumped the tracks was similar in similar to WannaCry. You know the 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 message you got was that you have to pay a, a ransom. It was three hundred, I think, three hundred dollars, which is not not very much. Uh, but but all of the, you know, all, maybe not very much for you, Mister White Privilege. Jeez, <laughs> oh, you know, if I'm a small Ukrainian company, that could be a lot. In the context of business style ransomware, three hundred bucks is not. Is not a, a big deal. So yeah. anyway, uh, said but, from your five million dollar mansion. Yes, that's right. <laughs> my my diamond encrusted Lenovo laptop. I just just got it back from uh, having it, you know, platinum plated. So anyway, sorry, sorry go on. Um, where, where, where was it? Going? <laughs> all right. So oh, yeah. so it runs the check disk. It does all the encryption. Yeah, and it, you get it, the message that says you know you're you're locked out and you got to pay money to to get your files back, and it gives you an email address like a regular internet routable email address, which which was quickly, um, you know, shut down. Right. So you now now you had no way to communicate with the baddie. Which is an interesting debate in of itself. Correct, because that's not how this is done, right? I mean, that's that's not how ransomware let, business is transacted. But let's say it was for for whatever legitimate reason. Let's say that they were just dumb. Okay. The authorities and whoever shutting that down now take away the option, assuming there was one, to pay the ransom and potentially decrypt your files. Oh, that exactly right. And and that's an interesting debate that maybe we can have at a different time. Of should we do that? Because some argue that there's a moral imperative to never pay the ransom. Others say that it's a personal business risk decision. And uh, I don't know. That's something we could talk about later. Yeah. It, it, there's no easy answer to no. that one. But but anyway, I, I, the, the other important attribute of the ransomware angle is that all of the, you know, all of the infections pointed to the same Bitcoin wallet. And so without any ability to email them and without any differentiation based on you know who who paid what and why they're they're basically the, the the allegations are there was never intended to be a mechanism by which you could 
even if you wanted to get your, you know, get decryption keys. So, so that, that I think once, once it became widely known, that was the set of facts, you know, along with the, the reality, this was, you know, f uh, targeting something that was mandated by the Ukrainian government. Um, you know, it was not a lot, not a far leap to say this is a, a targeted attack on the Ukraine intended to, to destroy data and not uh, and destroy data and impact operations, not just, you know, it's, it wasn't a traditional ransomware campaign. Uh, fair. The only thing I will say is that we don't know that for certain. Correct. I mean, you know, there's... And, well, and bad guys can be dumb too. Who was it that said, you know, some people just want to watch the world burn? Right. right? You know, but so. the, the level of sophistication to bury this back door and know the source code is pretty strong. Although, who knows? It could have been a disgruntled former employee. I, I, I just saying, I think we have a fetish with jumping to nation state actors right now. And, and oh, certainly I, do. I try to counter that where I can. Yeah, we, we definitely do. And, and, you know, that's not, not, but you know, at the same time, it could have yeah, it it very well could have been Russian state intelligence. They've been screwing around with Ukraine for a while now and even annexed a big part of their territory and, you know, are having a low-level kinetic conflict going on. So Right, you know, and we talked about the power, you know, the, the, right. the text and the power grid, which were also attributed to Russia too. So um, anyway, that, that being said, one of the other big confusing aspects was the name of the malware itself. Because for most of the first day, it was being referred to as Petya, which is a common, you know, relatively common and, and pretty effective piece of malware. But it soon became clear that this was not actually working the same way as Petya. The, the, the way it encrypted the files was different and the encryption algorithm was different. Apparently, you know, Petya actually had a working mechanism for people to pay the ransom and, and on and on and on. And, and actually, in uh, sometime after, I think it was maybe this past week, the actual author of the real Petya came forward basically trying to say, wasn't me. And, you know, uh, in effect, gave decryption keys for, for being able, you know, for, for decrypting Petya encrypted uh, systems. And so, uh, you know, I, I think he wanted to, to make sure he stayed out of that, you know, whole terrorist uh, I, I not it yeah yeah right <laughs> i don't want a hellfire on my door that's, right. that's what i'm Dear saying russian spetsnaz not it <laughs> so uh so anyway yeah so uh, that's why it's now called not petya because it it looked and behaved very similar to petya but it's not petya and by the way the the someone apparently has been in communication with with certain members of the security community and media, and demonstrated that um, that they actually have the keys that can successfully decrypt not pet yet encrypted systems, and now are demanding a, a two hundred fifty thousand dollar reward. I will say, at this point in the movies, I highly doubt there are many systems left to decrypt. You know, because this was really bad, and I want to talk ab about that a bit next. You know, this the the you just have to open up you know Google News and search for Not Petya, right? This was devastating 
to a lot of really big companies that that are, are global global names. I mean, Maersk, who runs you know a lot of the world's major shipping ports, was was you know pretty deeply affected, and um, you know I, I think there were quite a few multinational companies who who are in the same boat, and it's interesting because you know th- this happened presumably in a in a organization like Maersk it would have happened in a kind of a small corner of their of their network right because i i i don't know anything about maersk other than that i see their trucks on the road and that i know they operate a bunch of big ports however um i i suspect they don't have a huge operation in the ukraine but I'm guessing whatever they but did if, have, if they if they do, they have to file taxes exactly. in Ukraine. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so, so you know, presumably, you know, I would imagine most of the multinational companies that were affected by this, it kind of happened in the same way that you know it, it came in through their you know, their their presence in the Ukraine and then spread, you know, because of trust and and network connectivity. To the mothership and 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 beyond. So, um, really, I mean, this is this has been quite bad. I was talking to Bob about some customers he's been helping, and they have they have had to rebuild almost everything, and you know, completely start over. There is a um, there's a, a story on CSO, and I'll make sure the link is. Is put up in the show notes, but it talks about how three hospitals in the U.S., like local hospitals, not not you know huge hospital chains, but like local hospitals that were were affected. And apparently, one of their you know, this is again hypothesis, but uh, some Twitter friends and I were kind of trying to piece together the pieces of how this how could a U.S. hospital with no apparent ties to the Ukraine, no reason to run ME Doc. How could that happen? And apparently, there there are some uh, you know, some medical service companies, like medical transcriptionists, who apparently had some Ukrainian operations that that were affected. I forget the name of the the, the one, and I probably wouldn't say it anyway. <laughs> Don't want to throw them under the. Under yeah. the bus, right? But but anyway, we've already got three pending lawsuits. How many more do you want to defend? Seriously, <laughs> I know we we can't take any more. <laughs> um, so, yeah, yeah. Um, the, one of the hospitals, by the way, chose to not rebuild. They just bought new IT. They 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 kind of wrote off their entire. IT infrastructure and have started deploying new. And and by the way, Bob was telling me that is not an uncommon thing that there are a number of these larger companies who who are taking this as an opportunity. I mean, I, I highly doubt it's how they would want to do it, right? But they're taking this as an opportunity to, you know, to move to the next version of Windows and maybe make that move to the cloud and you know, refresh all their workstations and so on and so forth. So this is a big deal. Yeah. Um, so anyhow, 
let's see. The, the, the next thing I wanted to talk about was how not to react if your company is uh, like intellect services. <laughs> so, <Neil? laughs> so, you know, obviously they had some problems. Like, you know, they had IDs fished and they hadn't updated their servers in in uh, four years. But, you know, quite honestly, anybody that listens to the show knows, like, that's not that uncommon, right? I mean, it happens. It's not magical and, and, and whatnot. Uh, but what is magical is that on, on the day that the outbreak happened, J- June 27th, uh, the, the company Intellect Services came out and said, you know, not us. It wasn't us. We didn't do it. We're not involved. These, these reports are erroneous. And I, I can only assume, by the way, they came to that conclusion after installing Malwarebytes. Right. <laughs> Basic version. <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't, uh, by the way, I really do like Malwarebytes, so I, I, it's a joke. It's I, an old IT joke. Um, on June 28th, they published a, a, a statement on their website saying they were under attack. And then several hours later, they deleted it <laughs> and didn't say anything more. And then on, July, on, sorry, on June 29th, they said, okay, maybe there is something going on. We're working with the police and we've brought in Cisco to help us. And by the way, Cisco is, uh, is one of the sources of the information, right? Because they, they did a, a bunch of forensic analysis before the police showed up on, I think, July 4th, um, they did a bunch of analysis and apparently got intellect services to agree to let them publicly talk about it, which was, you know, kudos on them, I guess. Um, so, and then, uh, and then July 4th was kind of the next big milestone when the police apparently detected that there was another attack that was about to be launched or, or had just started to be launched uh, through uh, intellect service infrastructure, right? I, it, there's, there's not a lot of detail about what that attack was or if it was the same actors or, you know, whatever. Um, but the police, that, that was what triggered the police apparently to run in with their guns blazing and, uh, you know, and seize the servers. Now, interestingly... When they seized those servers, all those 400,000 customers stopped receiving ME doc updates. Now, apparently it didn't, it didn't impact everybody. As I understand it, there were ME doc customers who, um, who hadn't yet updated to the you know to the to the new version or you know hadn't yet applied the latest updates which had not pet yet. So anyway, not everybody apparently was was wiped clean, but a lot of them were. And with the the ME doc servers offline, apparently a lot of businesses who were still operational couldn't do their jobs because their ME doc apparently was the core one of the core you know, cores of their accounting system. And it doesn't have an offline mode? Well, I, I'm not sure if it doesn't have an offline mode or if that it was that um, they needed... Actually, you know, now that you say that, 
I suspect what happened was because the the, the story is a bunch of customers are were kind of left in you know out, out in the cold because they couldn't do their normal accounting processes because they couldn't get to the ME-Doc servers. Uh-huh. And so companies were sharing ME-Doc binaries using Google Drive. Huh. And, and now I wonder, it, it just kind of stream of consciousness as we're talking here, I kind of wonder maybe it was situations where maybe there were smaller companies and they they were wiped clean and they rebuilt their server and they needed to install ME-Doc to get back up and running and they couldn't because the servers were gone. <laughs> oh, what a mess. So, you know, this is... Um, I, there's There are so many different lessons here. It's kind of hard uh, you know, to... To, to cut into it but you know I, so I, I, I well, first off before I go further were there other aspects of this story that you wanted to talk about I, I think you hit on most of it uh, uh, or we have already you know one thing that, that came up that uh, from from the Talos research is that they only had logs uh, for June and they didn't have anything for May or April or back uh, on, on the uh uh, intellect services side. So one of the lessons learned there is, you know, longer, long retention. Well, we'll probably get into lessons learned, but, um, uh, you know, one thing I wanted to point out was that once they had the back door in and they had this phone home capability and then they had the redirect going on, they could have loaded any payload. It yeah. didn't have to be ransomware, which isn't, you know, it's interesting they chose to go down that path, but they could have, could have done something else. They could have done small, quiet credential stealing. They could have done, you know, tax information stealing. They could have looked for intellectual property and leaked it out. There's a lot of other things they could have done. Yeah, and it, I, I was actually thinking about that too. And it's really concerning because if you, if you, you know, let's think about the way this happened, right? If y- y- you would say that the, to a nation-state-style adversary, tax information is probably not the thing you're really after. You know, it's probably more, um, you know, other more useful stuff. Intellectual property or, you know, designs for the nuclear power plant or, or, or you know, something along those lines. It's unlikely, and maybe it is in in the Ukraine. I don't know, right? It's it's probably unlikely that the the ME doc system itself had a ton of information that was useful to an attacker. But when you think about it, the the NotPetya attack showed that you know those systems had the ability, the the capability of reaching out and touching a bunch of other systems and and this and was a, a very noisy destructive attack when we yes. look at the timeline of the actual attack it was only operational in terms of spreading i think for just a couple of hours yes uh there there's a you know it, i guess what i'm saying is that if this were truly a nation state isn't there a lot better things to do than just burn it down unless that's you know Depends on what your, your I mean, depends on what your end game is, right? Yeah, I mean, this is the problem with 
with trying to guess the motivations of attackers. It's, it's a fool's errand, I think. You know, if you're just trying to create chaos, yeah, it's, it's not a bad way to go. Yeah, um, may, maybe, maybe some sysadmins just wanted an extra day off, man. Maybe they're like, screw it. That's true. I think it was, um, by the way, I think the attack happened the day before, was it Constitution Day in the, in the Ukraine? I, th- I think that was the holiday. So I, I have enough trouble keeping up with Canadian holidays. You want me to care about Ukrainian I, I holidays? Uh, you know... You, you right. are you are on a podcast, so may, maybe maybe you should figure that out. Yep. You know we've we've okay. So we've been rambling along for a long time now on this thing. What's our takeaways? What's our lessons learned? How would we avoid this in the future? Do you think? Um. So a couple of things. Good question couple uh, a couple of comments right i saw a lot of companies and bob told me this too that kind of took the stance that because antivirus at the time was not detecting this and there wasn't necessarily a patch available for microsoft that would you know stop this that effectively there wasn't wasn't anything that you could do but i, I think wait a second are you telling me there's not a shiny Blinky box that I could buy. Oh no no no! I don't know if you paid attention to your email recently, but I have I have probably a hundred webinar requests or invitations on how different security products would have uh, you know would have solved this. Um, so you know the the takeaways for me was on the initial infection vector, mitigating that is really hard because this is this is like a supply chain. Yeah, problem. and, and a, a vendor management questionnaire is not going to pick up this one. Correct. Now, <laughs> now, you know, now maybe if, a, if, if we take a step back and we say, okay, if you're intellect services, uh, there's a whole bunch of things they could have done better in terms of using two-factor for, for sysadmin off. Um, absolutely. You know, there's a, we don't know how the initial infection happened, we'd, but there's a lot of things they could have done. If they had, you know, because... Again, one of the you know, one of the issues was that they had the attackers had changed the flow of traffic mm-hmm. so that it you know routed to OVH. If if they had implemented some kind of least privilege restricted firewall type you know type connection or at least monitored for illicit connectivity you know connections out of their environment, they they probably would have seen that. So sure. you know, I think from their perspective. Multi-factor authentication, patching, you know, better they, firewalling. They could have seen a huge uptick in check-ins if they had been monitoring that too. Right. Yeah. Now, to be fair, this attack and redirect was only going on for three or four hours. That's correct. I, I think. I think at that point it was probably a little too late for them. I, I don't know that. I think yeah. if they're going to stop it, they probably need to stop it before then. Whether it's yeah, I don't know how their code repository works. I don't know how they're authenticating those check-ins or anything like that. But you know, maybe that's where they could have focused on. Yeah, or you know, the the changes changes to uh, the nginx configuration file again. That's really close in proximity to when it, you know, when the attack happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, blocking outbound traffic that you know that, that that isn't needed. You know, that's that's one. I suspect this thing sh- you know, that the 
the compromised infrastructure probably didn't have a need to initiate outbound connections. Because I'm going to guess that all the connections were from the MEDOC installs into their infrastructure. So, you know, that would be one. Um, I, I think that you know, from, a, from a customer perspective, there's a lot of stuff that could have been done to, to, to slow or stop the propagation. Sure. Yeah. Anything that had to do with uh, SMB or, or, you know, PC exec based communication. Yes. Uh, yes. Exact. Sorry. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Anyway, uh, look, look, I, I haven't had a drink in like a, a day and a half. I get so it. I get it's, it. It's I tough. It. Okay. I it. I, it's yep. anyway. Um, but you know, passwords uh, of admins uh, being reused, uh, segmentation, AD design. Uh, you know, depending on how it was grabbing those passwords out of memory, there's different things you can do to harden against that attack. Yep. Uh, I think that there's a lot of overall cyber hygiene, for lack of a better term, that would have made this harder to spread. Um, I think you had some some thoughts as well. Yeah, the, the, I think the things that really would have helped would were number one, a much much more restrictive Active Directory permission model, right? Because it's it's very clear to me reading this that this propagated because you know at every step of the way, NotPetya was able to grab credentials out of memory on that particular system that had administrative rights on some number of other systems, and that shouldn't happen, right? That that if you if your environment is designed well, that shouldn't happen. Now I know it's less convenient, and that's probably why this happens, but you know that's why best practices exist, right? I mean it's. You know, it is it is a trade off, and I guess if you're gonna play it fast and loose, you you have to be willing to accept this sort of uh, this, this sort of damage. Um, Windows later versions of Windows, Windows 10 and, and Windows Server 2016, actually include Credential Guard, which is intended to st to solve this particular problem. Right, it makes it very difficult to get credentials out of memory using something like Mimikatz. So sure. that's, you know, that's a big thing. But again, you know, how IT organizations, especially in large established companies, you know, don't just throw out their environment. Well, I guess maybe if you're a small hospital, you do. Um, but, you know, it, it's very difficult to, you know, to always be on the latest, uh, the latest operating system. You know, so, so I think that, that is another, uh, another mitigant, um, Network segmentation you mentioned, I think, would have helped too. You know, if you if you had the ability to compartmentalize, you know, they, that that would have helped. Um, yeah, it wouldn't necessarily stop it, but it could have contained it. Right, and you know, and then you would also also like should let's let's just say that MEDOC was running on a server. Does that server have any legitimate reason? to talk SMB to any other system in your environment? That's a good question. And if it doesn't, then yeah. why do you allow it? Because <laughs> it's easier. 
right? Um, I mean, then, this this is this is the challenge that we've had for a while now that we still focus on a hardened perimeter, and we don't think about the fact that once somebody comes in through a side window, that they can have the run of the place. And I think we have to shift our thinking to assume what if this host gets compromised? What if this host gets compromised? What if this host gets compromised? Because just to to answer the initial question. I still think auto-updating and auto-patching and trusting those auto-update sources is the better of the risks. And so my takeaway from this is not to trust auto-updates. This was a bit of a pocket case of a particular piece of software that the auto-updates was compromised, but I don't think we should throw the baby out with the bathwater. So then the next step is, how do I take that assumption of this could happen, or it could be something else, and better plan for breach containment yes within an organization yeah I, I, absolutely and w- resilience i think was my well I, I had two other points one was we covered it already a little bit is being cognizant of the fog of war yeah you know, f- phenomenon and and recognizing you know that especially when when the heat is on and and your environment is burning down around you you, you know you need to you need to make sure and I, and I think it's actually even more important in those kinds of cases you need to make sure that you are periodically checking to see if the you know if the assumptions and understanding that you're working under are still accurate do, do those still represent reality and you know, I know that no one wants to, and I don't either, right? No one wants to. No one wants to go, you know, to the CIO or CISO and say, you know, we we were doing uh, we were doing X, but we just realized that's not fruitful, so we're gonna go do Y. You know, you you don't. That's a difficult thing to do. It it is, but at the same time, we have to recognize that our attackers are constantly evolving. Yes. Exactly. And it's really difficult. I see a lot of organizations that have very static defenses that are robust, but they're built against the risk, you know, the threat actors and the risks and the and the vectors of five years ago. And but they're they've exhausted their resources meeting that level of objective, and then to come and say, "Oh, we need to do something different." Everybody hears that as more work, and I'm wondering if we've got a finite amount of resources, how do we pivot to deal with the current attack vectors and attack types without just crushing our people? Whether it be in terms of lack of nimble business capabilities getting in the way of business getting done our IT resources and, and, and security resources being crushed by ever more requirements being loaded upon them and so I, I think the organizations that think themselves the most mature in their IT security sometimes are the least nimble because they're so invested in this monolithic security model that they've built up over years with all this compliance and, and audits that when something new comes out they have no way of dealing with it right right where's this fit on our checklist right <laughs> and, and uh you know i'll just put on the risk register the bad guys look at that before they attack anyway right <laughs> every so scene. every time I, I i'm having this this struggle in my head with the duality of quote-unquote really mature 
secured organizations and being nimble to address certain threats. And I don't... Those two things do not work well together right now. Uh, I think you're right. And unless their maturity happened to address the vector that this new attack just happened to hit, but that's co- that's that's coincidence. I mean, it's not that that's a bad thing. Certainly, more cyber hygiene and, and doing some of the things we talk about. The whole point, <coughs> excuse me, is making it harder for the attackers and and hopefully coincidentally hitting that that you know interrupting that kill chain. Sorry, I know you hate that word, but somewhere in that path. But if if our maturity and all of our cycles being spent on addressing attack patterns of, of old, uh, we're, we're hobbling ourselves in addressing attack patterns of today and tomorrow. And so, I, you know, I, or, or, or the notorious, oh, I understand you want to block this new thing on, you know, blinky box that would stop this, but we need to go through change control. And, uh, and our change control meetings happen on Thursday at 3 p.m., yeah, you know the the other thing that that um, made made this a little problematic. You, something you said just triggered this. Is triggered for 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 a lot of companies. This happened just a couple of days before quarter end, and most most IT shops have a change freeze on the quarter boundaries. Sure. And so you know that that was not. Uh, not most not, retails not in the U.S. Thing. Yeah, most retailers in the U.S. have change freeze from, you know, before Thanksgiving till after New Year's. Correct. Yep. Uh, yeah, so. So. Uh, it, so, so what I will tell you, just a, a, a pragmatic piece of advice that, that Bob mentioned to me, which I thought was really good, is, you know, we all want to be all hands on deck when things, you know, when things happen. But you should carve out especially if you have a if you have the capacity to do this but even if you don't you, i think it's important to make the time is to spend some amount of time looking at what's going on outside of your organization to see if it's still jiving with your understanding and then and then pull that in you know so have a what what bob described was when they have these big you know these big incidents they pull together uh, you know, a, a kind of like a crisis team, and and assign out duties. Now I know that not everybody can afford a crisis team like Bob's company can, but you know they 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 pick somebody, they nominate someone, and say you know your job is to go, you know, constantly read up on this, and then when we have our multiple calls per day or or you know every day or whatever, you know, your job is to come prepared to talk about. You know what is the current understanding of what's happening? You know what what are the you know what's being talked about in the media and you know are, what are the what are the security companies saying? What are the antivirus companies saying? And that you're bringing that into the discussion and then using that to help refine the next steps. You know is that is what we're doing still still appropriate? So I think it's really important that you allocate some time and it kind of goes along with what you just said that if we're if we if we dedicate all of our people to being reactionary and trying to go you know past buckets of water to put the fire out we're not doing that we're not realizing that the thing we're chasing you know the phishing email we're chasing is you know is is now no longer the understood method of propagation or i should say initial infection then um no, you're 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 missing a, an opportunity 
to focus on the on the real thing. So, um, and then the last thing I had was resilience. You know, it, in, in uh, I wrote a little blog post about this, but the uh, the FFIC, oh which is God, are you self-promoting? I, I know I am. The the FFIC, who are banking regulators here in the U.S., that I deal with quite quite a lot. Um, you know, they they've really embraced this concept of cyber resilience, and I know a lot of banks are you know kind of ho hum on the FFIC, but I think that they you know they kind of are thinking about this right that IT is different than you know I, I, let me t- say that differently cyber quote disasters happen differently than traditional you know, kinetic type disasters, you know, like, like pandemics or fi- fires or floods or tornadoes or earthquakes, those sorts of things tend to happen geographically, uh, you know, in a geographic area, whereas, you know, these kinds of events happen wherever your system's at. And so if you're, you know, if you're all windows, it doesn't necessarily matter that you have systems in all these different geographically dispersed places. They're all in the network and, and accessible, they're probably all going to get wiped at the same time. And so, you know, if there's no segmentation, right? If there's no segmentation, that's right. And so, thinking about, you know, thinking about, you know, and again, this depends on how big and 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 reliant on IT your company is. Um, because you know, for some companies, this may not be a big deal, but if it is a big deal for your company. You ought to think about, for instance, like uh, Bob was, by the way, telling me a, a story of a customer of his who, um, you know, their, their Active Directory had been wiped out. But fortuitously, they had shut an Active Directory server down in one of their locations for maintenance. So it was offline. And so they used that as as the nucleus to nice. kind, of, <laughs> kind of rebuild their uh, you know their environment, but if they hadn't had that, they you know Bob was saying that they w- they would have been hosed. I mean, that, I think they were probably hosed anyway. But fortunate happenstance more than a plan, you know, a, a, right. a plan DR failback. But but yeah. but, it, but it points out that you know as, as I as I mentioned in the blog post, these things happen on technology boundaries, not on geographic boundaries, and so sure. we got to think about you know how do we design a resilience program that takes that into account. So anyway, that that's... Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's almost like, like going through a DDoS exercise. If, yes. If this circuit absolutely. Is, is DOSed, what's impacted? And how can I spread out that impact? Kind absolutely. of a similar mindset. Yep. Exactly yeah. right. So anyway, that is, uh, that. that's all I had for uh, for NotPetya. Any, any, anything else you wanted to mention? I think we've beat this one into the ground. Uh, I'm sure there's more that, you know, may come up. Uh, yep. You want to do a couple of mentions and shout-outs of upcoming cons and call it a show? Yeah, absolutely. So we'll, we will both be at DerbyCon in, uh, in September and then at the O'Reilly Security Conference uh, over the, hol- the, sorry, the Halloween weekend. Hey, guess what I got for the O'Reilly Security Conference? I heard you had a discount code. I have a discount code. Woohoo! So, uh, interest of full disclosure, we're not being paid. Uh, we are getting free admittance to the con because we're hosting the uh, the Ignite tracks. Something and, or other. Uh, yes. So, um, I believe the discount code is Secure Twenty, and we'll get you twenty percent off. Um, 
some of the big, uh, yeah, security 20, sorry, security 20 will save you 20% of the gold, silver, and bronze passes. It's a bit of a pricey show, so anything you can do helps. Yeah. Um, we're not eligible, by the way, but apparently there's a referral program that you can go to O'Reilly Security and um, get a unique code. And if you pimp your friends this unique code and they sign up with it, you get like 100 bucks per person that you get signed up, up to 500 So, so Sounds like a, we, uh, like, we a pon- got, like a Ponzi scheme in the making. I think we should have got signed up for that, if I ask me. <laughs> but anyway, we'll be there. That's right. Hosting the uh, the Ignite tracks, which are quick five-minute talks. Uh, hopefully, Call for Papers or that will go out soon. And uh, after that, we do... Uh, what, what did we call it last year? The Slideshow Karaoke? Yeah, I forget, yeah. I forget the name of it. Boy, well, it's hell getting old. Yeah, I know. We, we basically come up with all sorts of random slides, and you have to talk to them blind. It's good, it's good fun. Uh, what else? Uh, we got asked to talk about TRCon, which we already did, and uh, also got asked, I haven't shared this with Jerry yet, complete surprise, there is a B-Sides Bordeaux in France that uh, Alan Liska and Tim, oh my God, I forgot his last name, uh, who wrote the Ransomware O'Reilly book are hosting. Yeah. Uh, by the way, that's a really good book. It is. I agree. Uh, I I did a technical review on that book. Well, that, that must be why it's so good. I don't know. I, I can't say that exactly. But B-Sides Purdue, B-Sides BDX.org, uh, just shout out because B-Sides is, is, a, is a good good con to go to, and they're all over the country. Look them up. Yep. Go. And, and, and apparently all over the world, too. All right, this is in France. Yeah. Which um, I don't... I'd like to, but I don't think we'll be attending. And finally, we're going to Colombia. That's right. Bogota. Bogota, Colombia for Tactical Edge. I think it's in March. Yeah, in the spring, yep. which is all sorts of craziness. Absolutely. And um, so so the next, just for, for awareness, the next couple of weeks are going to be a little nutty. I'm going to be traveling here, there, and all, all over Europe uh, for a couple of weeks. We I, I'm intending to record with uh, with you uh, from from over there, so... Hopefully that all works out, but, you know, <laughs> depends on if the internet gods are smiling at, uh, at that time. Yeah, we'll give it a shot. That's right. Uh, but anyway, uh, thanks for listening, everyone, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again. And uh, with that, have a good week. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.